Blog Talk Radio. Slow down, touch your life. Don't you know there's friends to be found? Lift your eyes and see the world. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. I'm your host, Lawrence Knorr, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press. Sunbury Press publishes print and electronic books under 11 different imprints in a variety of categories sold worldwide wherever books are sold. This episode is about author John Kachuba's various works. John Kachuba is the award-winning author of over a dozen books. Many are nonfiction about paranormal and metaphysical topics. With Sunbury Press, he has two novels, The Savage Apostle and Dark Entry both set in New England. He's also the contributor to the new Hellbender Books short story compilation, Hellbent, Volume 1. John is a regular speaker at universities, libraries, and conferences, and has made numerous appearances on TV, radio, and podcasts. Welcome, John Kachuba. Thanks, Lawrence. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're glad to have you. And uh, I know you've done a lot of work, and we only have a half hour, so I, I want to try to cover sort of survey all of it and give our listeners a, a chance to learn more about you. And I know sure. you've done both fiction and nonfiction. Is there uh, I, I know you've done more nonfiction than fiction. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that journey for you. What got you into fiction with us versus the nonfiction you were working on? Yeah. Um, you, you know, I've always, well, I've always been interested in fiction. I've always been interested in just storytelling, you know, and growing up in New England, I heard a lot of stories, so I had a lot of material to work from. But the nonfiction um, sort of appeals to me in different ways because I've always been interested in subjects like history or just metaphysical topics, um, you know, not so much ghost stories, but, you know, but true sort of metaphysics and things like that. So, I was writing nonfiction for quite a while and before I started to switch to fiction. And I, I can't say switch for sure because I really still do both, you know. But um, what appealed to me uh, in writing The Savage Apostle, which was one of my novels, was that that was based, again, on history. So there was a lot of sort of nonfiction research, if you will. I could have written it entirely as a nonfiction book. But I liked the idea of those characters and what they may have been thinking and what they may have been experiencing as they were going through the events that led up to King Philip's war in New England. So that becomes fictionalized, you know, because nobody can really know for sure, right? So as a, as a writer, you imagine what they felt, what they were thinking, what motivated them, and you put that within a historical context. Um, so I wouldn't even call it a switch as much as sort of a combination of using both nonfiction in a way and fiction. Um, the second novel that I have with, with Sunbury, the Dark Entry novel, is a paranormal novel. It's a ghost story. But that, too, is based on historical accounts from New England, from Connecticut. So, again, there's that blend. Yeah. Yeah, and I, kn I know writing history myself, you often hit um... – situations where the historical record only has so much just a small amount of information you got to kind of fill in the rest some of it you have to come up with theories or conjecture but with fiction historical fiction you can fill that in with dialogue and just imagine what might have happened so it gives you the right. license to do that yeah so that's yeah, great exactly hey so uh 
switching to your you're part of this ghost hunting series that was produced uh, a number of states with mm-hmm. uh, paranormal experiences described in them. I know I, I saw on the list over eight states, Ohio, Pennsylvania, California, Illinois, Maryland, Florida, Kentucky, Texas, New York City, and there was a couple other general books. Uh, it looked like compilations, uh, maybe different states altogether. So um, I understand you wrote a few of these and you edited some of these. Talk a little bit about that series and how you got involved in it. Yeah, I did. Actually, um, I developed that series for a publisher. At, originally, it was uh, Emmis Publishing, which has since gone under, uh, but now those books are carried by Clarice, so they're still available and still out there. Um, but a, a friend of mine who is actually an editor at the press uh, was trying to get me to write something for them, and we sat down and came up with some ideas. And the one idea he had was, what about ghost hunting in Ohio? And, and at that time, to be honest, I really didn't, know much about that. I mean, I always loved ghost stories, (laughs) but hadn't really been involved in doing research. But as a result of that first book, which was called Ghost Hunting Ohio, uh, I went and, you know, I researched, well, maybe 50 locations in Ohio that were supposed to be haunted. And when I say research, I mean, physically go to the locations. Um, And I followed that up with a second book about Ohio, and then a book about Illinois. So I wrote three, and they were very popular with the press. And uh, they approached me and said, what if we went nationwide with this, do a national series? And I said, fine. So I was the uh, freelance editor for that whole series. So I acquired writers in different states to write about their particular states. Um, But the whole premise was that the writers, myself and the other writers, had to actually go to these locations. uh, and. Yeah, so you're writing about a first-person account, you know, and if nothing happens to you at the time, uh, interview the people that are there. So at a haunted hotel, supposedly, you'd interview the, you know, the night clerk and the, the housekeepers and security guards and maintenance people, and then maybe something happened to you, maybe not, but you get all these stories and you collect them and then you write about them. And it's been a really successful series. Um uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not involved with it anymore. This series has concluded, but they're all still in print and, you know, still doing pretty well. So, Yeah, my initial impression was, oh, my gosh, this guy is like this psychic detective who's traveled the country <laughs> and that you were doing all this yourself. You were the uh, the researcher, the writer, and, that, you know, come to find out you wrote several of these, three of these, four of these, something like that, right. and the rest you edited. But, you know, what a right. great idea for a series. And uh so I'm, I am curious, though. It, it seems like you, so you came across, you came to this idea as an idea to, to do a book. It wasn't that growing up you were always fascinated by ghosts or had paranormal experiences, or, or is there something like that you could share that that piqued your interest in this topic, or is it just something that came to you as a book idea? It's a little bit of both. Um, as I said, growing up in New England, you know, I, I heard a lot of historical stories of, you know, the settlers and Indians and things like that. But I also heard a lot of, you know, stories about witches and ghosts growing up there. Um, So I was always fascinated by those. But I can't say that I did much, um, you know, much with it other than just read those stories. But at one point, I was living in a town in Connecticut where um, Ed and Lorraine Warren lived. And your audience may not know who they are, but they're both deceased at this point. But I called them sort of America's godfather and godmother of ghost hunting. 
they were the ones that publicized and were involved in the Amityville Horror, which you know was years ago, and there was novels about that and movies about that. Um, they did right up to today the last Conjuring movies that came out not yeah. too long ago was part of them. So I so I got to know those people because I lived in the same town as they did, and I had taken some photos of an old deserted site in Connecticut up in a, up on a mountain. Um, that I saw some weird things in the photos that looked kind of like faces. Uh, and, and I took these photos to them. They invited me to their house and said, well, let's see what you have. And as I was showing them their my photos, they whipped out this photo album with hundreds of photos they had taken from the same location. <laughs> wow. And they had all kinds of um, strange anomalies in the photos, you know, balls of light and streaks of color and misty figures and all this kind of stuff. So I got kind of interested, you know, that kind of piqued my interest into, what, you know, what's going on out there? What What is happening? Um, so that kind of did it. And when I was approached in Ohio about writing about ghosts, it's kind of fed into my earlier experiences there in Connecticut and sort of the stories that I'd heard. And I thought, yeah, this gives me a chance to actually check it out on my own and actually maybe get some work out of it too, you know, get a get a book or two out of it. So it was kind of serendipitous. But So at the Warrens, I just have to know, was there a creepy doll sitting around? Well, you know, actually there was because they had oh, yeah. at their house. Oh, yeah, they've got this. <laughs> this is incredible. At their house, they have their own occult museum. Um and it was literally a barn that was kind of attached to the house. And they had uh, Annabelle, which is this famous haunted yeah. doll that, you know, yeah. So they have her in a glass case and they have all these other objects that they had collected as they were doing their ghost work, you know, around the country, um, you know, haunted objects and cursed things and all that. And there'd be signs on them like, you know, do not touch the glass, do, you know, stand with 10 feet away and all, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. Wow. So, yeah. And I am, all that now, I think, is in the possession of their uh, nephew, John Zaffis, who also has his own TV programs about ghost hunting and things like that. So, but. so you, uh, you start this book on Ohio, and I guess you probably, I'm surmising that you came up with a list of places, and then you decide, okay, I'm going to hit here, 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 and go out and do this. Uh, you know, research that I'm doing, we go to graves, and then we write biographies about the people, and. Yeah. Uh, we we uh, we honor them that way. Uh, this is a very different kind of thing where you're you're looking for paranormal activity. I'm assuming. So, right. tell us a story. Uh, you know, what what was it like? I mean, you seem to be pretty objective, almost a skeptic from what you you've said so far. You know, you didn't come with this a lot of. Um, yeah, it was more about a book project and and an interesting topic to work on. Uh, did you experience anything that was? unexplainable and strange or uh, yeah, did you mostly? I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I did. And, and to your point, I was going in as I, I had done some uh, reporting work. I was a journalist for a little bit with the Cincinnati Enquirer here and, and my other nonfiction magazine articles and things were, you know, straight objective fact based. So when I went into this whole thing, I did not go in with the idea of either trying to prove that ghosts were real or to disprove it. I, I went in simply as an objective journalist and said, okay, this place is alleged to be haunted, so let's see what it's about. Let's see, let's talk to people. Let's see if I experience anything or whatever. Um, and, and I did. I mean, one of the places that I wrote about was actually in Florida, and this was in a book called Ghost Hunters 
which is kind of a compilation of some locations around the country, as well as interviews with a lot of the people who are doing this kind of work, including the Warrens. I have a, a chapter about them in there. Um, but we went into this house. Myself and another researcher from Tampa were invited to this uh, Victorian-era Historical Society Museum, which was owned by uh, it was a doctor's office in the Victorian times. Uh, long story short, there's supposed to be a couple of different ghosts in there, including the ghost of a little girl. So we spent the night there, and nothing happened. You know, it was totally quiet in the house. The three of us were there, and just totally, totally quiet. Nothing happened. So it's about three o'clock in the morning. We decide, okay, this is this is a bust. We're just going to leave. We've been here pretty much all night. Nothing's going on. So we're starting to walk out to the kitchen, and this house was completely furnished in old Victorian furnishings. So the kitchen had an old wood-burning stove. And as you walked by this wood-burning stove, um, I'll describe it first. The surface of it had this metal disc, probably 18 inches in diameter, and there was this eye bolt in the middle of it. And it, to, attached to that was like this wrought iron uh, rod, maybe maybe two feet long or so. And the idea was that when the stove got hot and you needed to throw more wood in it, you would take this rod and lift up that iron lid, throw wood down in it, and then just, you know, slam it back down, right? So the three of us are walking out. It's dark. Um, we're walking really close together, single file, and we walk past this stove, and we have one flashlight. <laughs> and in the edge, in the perimeter of the, of the light, I can see sort of some movement, and I look over, and I, I see this almost two-foot-long cast-iron rod, which is laying across the surface of the stove. It flips up. It does a quick flip of like a 180, right? And it slams down. It, it flips up with force and violence, and it slams down on the stove, and it goes bang, just like that. And it's so hard that it pops off the eyeball and falls on the floor. Uh, all of us saw it. We stood there and said, Holy cow. That's what, that's what you usually say. Holy cow, did you see that? <laughs> you know, what? There, there's no, I mean, so we looked at that thing and it's laying on the floor. He picked it up, put it back in the stove. We said, how could that have happened? Was there any way that we could have done that as we walked by? And, and, and there was no way. Even if somebody had brushed up against it, the most you would have done is just swiveled it around on the surface or something and never would have lifted up, slammed down and fallen on the floor. That required physics that we don't know about um yeah. if you know right i mean if there's a natural law of physics or something that would explain that action i don't know what it is um now here's where you make a leap in faith does that mean that that was a ghost that did it well you really can't make that assumption <laughs> but right. you can say that it's paranormal it's above the normal it's something that it can't be explained by any laws of nature or science that we know of. Uh, so that, you know, you have experiences like that and you just say, okay, I don't know what that was. I, I, I can't explain it. And that's about as far as I can go. Um, you know, but yeah, so I've had that. I've heard, I've heard my name, not just called, but I've heard my name recorded on a tape recorder uh, or a digital recorder in places where nobody even spoke my name. Wow. Uh, you know, I'll give you an example. So there were three of us, or four of us, four guys at this old uh, country club in Ohio that was built. In the, the main building was built like 1810 or something like that, and it's now a country club with a golf course. And this building is supposed to be haunted. So 
four of us were, um, it was, again, it was early in the morning, two, three, maybe four o'clock, something like that. And we were in the men's locker room, which was supposed to be haunted. And we were sitting around this little poker table they had there. And the three of us, the four of us went around and we had our recorders recording. And all we did was say our names. We just introduced ourselves to the air, if there was something out there. So everybody goes around and I say, uh, yeah, my name is John. Okay, so as each one of us said this, we don't hear anything. We're not expecting to hear anything. You know, it'd be odd. We all just said our name. On playback on the recorder, we hear everybody saying their name, and then I was the last one, and I said, my name is John. And right after that on the recorder, you hear, John, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> now, I only so, heard that on the recorder, though, right? Not. Yeah, that's not, right. That's right. You did not yeah. hear it in real time, but you heard it on playback, and they call that – um, EVP, electronic voice phenomena, which has not been explained to anybody's satisfaction, but it's pretty common where you will be in a location and have your recorder running, and then on playback you'll hear voices or something that you said, "Well, who is that? That was who's that woman? There was no woman there, you know." So uh, it's strange. Now, did you ever see anything? Any balls, orbs, misty figures? Anything like a traditional ghost story? Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen, like, um, I guess I'll call them orbs, you know, little balls of light or things like that moving off in the distance in some different locations. Um, but what I've never seen in, you know, I, sort of the holy grail of uh, ghost hunting would be a full head-to-toe apparition, you know, that you can clearly see and say, look, there's a guy standing there with a, a musket and, you know, a military uniform or something. Haven't had that Um would love to have that, but haven't had that yet. <laughs> I actually had that happen to me twice in my life. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> Which, yeah. And once as a kid, uh, I'll take a minute here just to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a paper boy uh, with a friend. We shared a paper route, and I went to his house. And that particular day, he was, well, I guess we we're 12, 13, 14 years old. His family was away. I didn't know it at the time, but. I came up on the porch and looked in the window to uh, to see if he was there to come out. And I saw this figure, this female figure, like in a, a robe, almost like a night robe, come towards me, uh, somewhat transparent. Like it, it didn't look totally natural. Came towards me and went up the steps. And I, I just didn't think at that moment that it was a ghost or anything. But um, like a minute after that, my friend came out around from the basement and uh, came to the porch and said, uh, oh, hey, I said, uh, I, saw, I saw your mother, you know, <laughs> is your mother up? This is like four or five in the morning. And he goes, no. He said, nobody's home. It's just me. I was sleeping in the basement. And I said, well, I just saw a woman walk through your living room and go up the steps. And he just looked at me like, you're kidding. Well, long story short, a couple of years later, I picked his sister up. Uh, I saw her in, in the city and I was driving by and I, I took her home and I told her the story and she said to me, oh, you know, our house was haunted and I used to have a woman to come bend over my bed at night like she was checking on me and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're kidding. And wow. so, yeah, that was uh, a really strange experience from when I was a kid and I won't tell the other story because we don't have a lot of time and this this interview is more about you <laughs> and your book. <laughs> but uh, that's, that's cool though. Yeah. I, all I'll say is that it's it's not something at least in my experience not something that I can wish to happen. It's like uh, you 
you just happened to be there on a random moment when, when something occurred and, uh, right. Right. And I didn't even realize it at that moment, what I was seeing, it wasn't until uh, thinking about it afterwards, uh, what, what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very strange and unexplainable. <laughs> I still think about it to this day and I don't have an answer for it. So anyway, let, let's, uh, we're talked about ghosts. Let's go to werewolves. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I think you have this uh, wonderful compilation, this book called Shapeshifters, a history that you put out last year. Tell us a little bit about right. that. Right. Well, Shapeshifters is nonfiction. And it was, it's ba- basically the, the story is that um, as I went around a lot lecturing and talking about ghosts and giving my presentations, so often people would recount uh, experiences they had or they have questions about something that clearly wasn't ghost but sounded more like shapeshifters so i started thinking about why is that so popular why are so many people talking about it and i started doing some research and basically discovered that the idea of a shapeshifter which you know is a is a person who can transform themselves usually into an animal but it could be into another person or it could even be into an inanimate object and then transform themselves back. I found that that character, that type of figure, existed in many, many cultures. Almost, I'm almost willing to say universally um, around the world. And that it dates back at least as far as Neolithic times, if not even earlier. And right up to today, where there are people who um, believe that there are such things as shapeshifters. Or if they don't believe it at least have it in their, you know, folklore and, and legends and things like that. So it was a very common figure. Um, and I was intrigued by that. So basically what I did, I did a lot of travel on that. I was in, uh, what, five different countries in Western Europe and then seven in Eastern Europe and a little bit of Asia. So, you know, I, I did some heavy traveling for research. Um, but I found that this 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 uh, character was uh, something that, resonated almost every culture as I said and so I look at it in mythology I look at it in theology I look at it in terms of psychology like what does it mean to want to be a shapeshifter why you know what is there some psychology behind there where is what is the need why is it such a popular figure I looked at it in popular culture in movies and books and uh, the idea of costumes and cosplay and Halloween and all that so it became a really, really broad, uh, broad book. Um, and in fact, you know, it's almost to the point where if I look at it now, I probably could have taken any one of these various components that I talked about, like the psychology of a shapeshifter, and I probably could have written an entire book just on that. So it's, it's broad. I mean, I, and it's designed to be. It may not be as deep as it is broad because it's a huge, huge topic. But I'm, I'm happy to say, though, that that was um, – named as a finalist by the Horror Writers Association for their Bram Stoker Award in Superior Achievement in Nonfiction. Um, so that's like, a, that's like getting the Academy. It's almost getting the Academy Award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nominated for an Academy Award, practically. Yeah. No, that's great. Nominated. Right. So, it's so yeah. Is there a, you know, we, we have about six minutes to go. So I want to ask you one more question about shapeshifters and then we'll get into yeah. uh, what, what else you're working on. Was there a particular culture or is there a particular culture where this seems to be more real, where they really believe uh, more than others? 
I, I think you find the true belief today. Uh, I, I think you still find that in a lot of indigenous cultures, uh, like in Africa, South America, you know, even here, even in the Southwest, like among the Diné or the Navajo um, and some other people, that there is still a uh, pretty strong belief in different types of shapeshifters. Uh, but having said that, there is also a person in England who believes that there are reptilian alien shapeshifters among us today, <laughs> which are people who carry these ancient, ancient genes that allow them to transform back and forth from sort of a lizard man, if you will, to a human being, and that they've taken positions of power. Uh, according to him, Queen Elizabeth II is one, Barack Obama is one, so <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow, that's pretty uh, That's pretty out there, but <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know you've got the, the two novels with us. They're both set in New England, correct? Uh, yes, right, exactly. And that Savage was because... Apostle is, uh, well, I grew up there. And right. certainly knew the history. And the Savage Apostle is the historical account of the events leading up to King Philip's War, which is the Plymouth Colony versus uh, the native uh, Wampanoag uh, population and other Indians up there as well. And then Dark Entry is the paranormal novel, the ghost story. And that's set in Connecticut uh, in a location that was an early 18th century village in Connecticut that is uh, no longer there except for abandoned cellar holes and wells and things like that. Now, Dark Entry is the, the actual name of the forest in that area? It is. It is. Yeah, it's a private It's a private mountain. There's maybe five or six homes up there, and they call it Dark, Dark Entry Forest Association. The town was originally called Dudley Town. That's its, that's its official name, although it's no longer in existence. Um, but it was named Dark Entry because it, it was it was dark up there, <laughs> the very heavy forest growth. And, you know, once you're in there, the entry, the road that leads up to the mountain was completely forested and all side. It was like going into a tunnel, you know, so that's well, it sure sounds creepy to me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was creepy. I, I've been there. It was creepy. <laughs> so, John, in uh, with about another minute or two here, what are you working on now? So right now I'm working on a historical novel that um, leads up to uh, the events of Wounded Knee in 1891 in uh, the Dakotas, Dakota Territory. And I'm also working on a screenplay, a romantic comedy, 18th century England. I'm working on that. And my agent is trying to sell a trilogy based on a journalist named Lafcadio Hearn, 19th century journalist who was a quite amazing guy. So I'm, you know, I've got some busy things going here. And where can we find out about John Kachuba? Where's the best place to go to get information? The best place is my website, johnkachuba.com, J-O-H-N-K-A-C-H-U-B-A.com. All my books are listed there. Uh, my blog is there. My schedule of appearances, 90% of which have been canceled because of COVID, uh, right. <laughs> are there. <laughs> so, Well, John, it's been great having you on. And hope to have you back. Yeah, thanks, Lawrence. It's been a lot of fun. All right. So. Take care. Good All luck. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide.
If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak Network. You can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 